Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Solving the mysteries of different exoplanets from across the universe. Now, when you look at the exoplanets scattered across our universe, over 4,000 that we've uncovered so far, lots of mysteries emerge. How are they formed? Why is there a weird distribution in the number of different types of planets? And what can we learn about the signatures of these planets themselves? All this and more on this week's Exoplanet Special. Now, in our solar system is the planet Neptune. And it's unusual in size in our solar system because it's not quite as massive as the other gas giants, but it serves an important purpose. And scattered across the universe are a variety of exoplanets. There's a lot of hot Jupiters, basically planets that are Jupiter size or larger, or super-Earths, which are much bigger versions of Earth, rocky planets that often orbit very close to their stars and get incredibly hot. But what about the gas giants that are Neptune size? There's not many of these hot Neptunes floating around. And astronomers have been trying to figure out what is going on with them. Why this odd range of sizes of planets? If we're expecting some sort of distribution that makes some logical sense, where did all the hot Neptunes go? Well, some researchers from the University of Geneva have just published a paper outlining how they found an unusual case of the disappearance or transformation of one of these hot Neptunes. Now, this strengthens an existing level of theories to suggest that a lot of the hot Neptunes that are hanging around out there over time gradually morph and become smaller planets, more like the super-Earths. Now, these researchers have published their findings working from the University of Geneva, UNL, IGE in Switzerland, in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics. And they explain it like this. If you were a fisherman and you pulled up your nets, you'd be really, really surprised if you only had big fish and little fish. It wouldn't make any sense that you wouldn't pick up any medium-sized fish. And this is exactly what astronomers hunting for exoplanets have seen. They found a whole large number of hot planets, Jupiter-sized or bigger, And they found a whole number of Earth-sized planets, or even larger, called super-Earths. But they haven't found any in the range of Neptune, sort of that medium size of planet. Or at least none in the close range to the orbit of their star, to be in that hot designation category. So the mysterious absence of any of these hot Neptunes left one of two explanations. Either... Medium-sized planets like Neptune are rare, and that could be because of a number of reasons, basically a critical mass factor. Or perhaps the other case, that they were at one point in time plentiful, but have since disappeared. Now, a few years ago, the UNIGE astronomers using NASA's Hubble Space Telescope discovered a warm Neptune hanging around on the edge of that desert, just, just on that boundary between falling into a different classification or not. And they classified it GJ436b. But what they found is that it was losing hydrogen from its atmosphere. Now, this loss wasn't enough to obviously threaten the atmosphere of the exoplanet, but 
it suggested that Neptunes that were getting more seriously bombarded by energy by their star or were closer in than GJ463b was could have their atmosphere eroded away just by stellar bombardment. They found another warm Neptune just again at that boundary line, GJ3470b. And it was losing its hydrogen in its atmosphere 100 times faster than the other planet. Now, the interesting part is that 3470b, the second one, is actually much younger. And so it's getting burnt off much faster as well. Now, observing the evaporation of the atmospheres, or the hydrogen of the atmospheres, of these two warm Neptunes is encouraging. But it doesn't fully solve the mystery. And it's also quite difficult, because we can't detect, using current metrology, hydrogen emissions for planets more than 150 light years away. And these ones that we've been looking at are kind of on that 100 light year away barrier border. Because further than that, the hydrogen itself tends to get obscured by interstellar gas. So we could hunt for more of these mini Neptunes using the James Webb Space Telescope, which could enable us to see better than the current technology. But we're a little bit closer to figuring out why we have this lack of abundance of medium-sized, hot Neptunes. There's some great work being done out of the University of Geneva. Now we've been hunting for exoplanets for quite some time now, and we found nearly 4,000 of them orbiting around distant stars. But one of the things that still remains a mystery is the formation of planets themselves. Now we have some good ideas about how exoplanets form, but catching them in the act is incredibly difficult, mostly because the process for star formation takes an awful long time. But it also tends to happen in nebula and clouds, which can obscure observation. So to help answer this question about how planets form and what the recipes are for forming different exoplanets, why we end up with some hot Jupiter's massive rocky worlds or icy dwarf planets, what's the formula? Why do we end up with such a variety of different exoplanets out there? And researchers using the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array, or ALMA, have been studying the very first protoplanetary disks, getting that early glimpse of the formation of stars before they've t built around them all this intricate exoplanet solar system. And researchers have published their findings in the journal Astrophysical Journal Letters. Now this is a large research group team including researchers from Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, Rice University, University of Chile, Heidelberg University. And these researchers have worked together using the results from the ALMA telescope. And what they've been studying is part of the Disk Substructures at High Angular Resolutions Project, or D-Sharp. It's part of the large program at the ALMA Observatory. And what they've got out of it is stunning high-resolution images of 20 nearby protoplanetary disks. And that's incredibly important because it gives researchers a chance to literally look at the formation of solar systems and exoplanets scattered across our universe. And the most interesting part of this is that large planets 
Planets of a similar size to Neptune and Saturn form much more quickly and faster than our current understanding of theories would allow. And they tend to form at the outer reaches of the solar system, a tremendous distance from their host stars. That would leave space for the Earth-side worlds to evolve closer in on a slower process. Without being consumed by the self-destructive adolescence of the later outer planets. Now, the leading models for planetary formation hold that planets are born by gradual accumulation of dust and gas inside what's called a protoplanetary disk. Starts, you know, grains of ice and dust that coalesce to much larger and larger rocks until you get asteroids or planetesimals and planets then emerging. This hierarchical build-up process, of course, would take millions of years to unfold. And if there's any impacts or protoplanetary disk collidings, they're more heavily relevant in older, more mature systems. But the evidence from this survey study seems to suggest that that really slow and gradual process is not always the case. For example, Alma's early observation of a particularly young protoplanetary disk, about 1 million years old, which is quite young for a planetary system, show that it's already got a reasonably well-defined structure, including prominent rings and gaps, which would give us the hallmarks of all kinds of planets. If you can imagine a big disk of dust, a cloud of dust, if you had a large object in there, it would clear a gap in that disk as it moves around. That's what they're seeing in some of these very young systems. Now, they weren't really keen to initially subscribe these gaps to the location of a planet because there could be some other process at play. But now studying using the high-resolution photograph, that sort of changes the interpretation. As Jane Huang, a graduate student at CFA, sort of outlined, it was surprising to see possible signatures of planet formation, the very first high-resolution images of young disk. It was important to figure out whether these were anomalies or if there were signatures that were common in disks. So, since they had such a small sample, they had to go looking for more and more systems. That's what the D-Sharp campaign was designed to do. Find 20 different nearby planetary disks and take really good images of them. Now, depending on the star's distance from Earth, the, the telescope in question was able to actually distinguish features that are as small as a few astronomical units, which is the di distance from Earth to the Sun, 150 million kilometres. But that's you know a good size and scale for us to be able to observe. And what these researchers found is that there were many of these concentric gaps, narrow rings, common to nearly all the disks that they were studying, while large-scale patterns and arc-like features were also present, but not as common. And these gaps were present at a range of distances, from very, very close, a few AU, to more than 100 AU out, three times the distance from Earth to Nep from our Sun to Neptune, which is a huge distance. Now, these could be the imprints, these gaps from large planets or rocky-sized planets. And that would help us tackle one of the big problems of current accumulation theory. Astronomers have been puzzling over a major hurdle in planet formation theory, which is really, once dusty bodies grow to a certain size, pretty much anything more than a centimetre in diameter, a purely smooth protoplanetary disk with no gaps or anything like that in, in them would mean that that little ball of dust would slowly, surely, fall into their host star, and thus never build up enough to get enough mass to become something like mass Earth or Venus. So these dense rings of dust would give a bit of a safe haven for rocky worlds to accumulate 
and mature. Because a higher density and concentration of dust particles means you get more collisions, more buildup, and faster rate of growth. And this is some fantastic research. And the number of papers that have been published out of this is incredible. The D-Sharp team has published a variety of papers in the Astrophysical Journal Letters. There's over seven of them, which are very, very interesting in detail. But just goes to show that our understanding of how planets are formed is growing and changing and improving all the time. So researchers from the University of Geneva, again, have been leading the charge on trying to identify the presence of helium scattered across our universe, in particular, how it relates to exoplanets. And they've done this using a new spectroscopy instrument called CAMENES, installed at the Cala Alto in Andalusia in Spain, a four-meter telescope at the observatory. And using this new instrument, a team of researchers led by Vincent Bourrier a co-author of the study and a member of the European project Four Aces, investigating upper atmosphere characterization of exoplanets with spectroscopy. That's what the ACES stands for, um, which is part of the European Research Council's Investigations and Innovation Program for 2020. They've been looking for helium. And you say, well, why? Helium is pretty rare as an element here on Earth. In fact, we have a helium crisis where we may one day run out of helium. It's one of the most ubiquitous elements in the entire universe, partly because of its simplicity in structure. It is, after all, after hydrogen, the second most abundant of the chemicals out there. It's a primary ingredient of stars and gas giant planets. But despite its relative abundance, we've never actually detected until now helium present in the atmosphere of gas giants or in other exoplanets. And this led the researchers to try and observe how this helium exists in atmosphere and if it is escaping somewhere. Although scientists have been predicting since 2000 that helium would be a really good tracer to try and find and identify exoplanets, it's taken almost 18 years for astronomers to actually figure out a way to use helium to spot exoplanets. And the reason why it's particularly hard to spot is because the observational signature of helium is in the infrared range of the spectrum, which means it's out of range for most of the previous instruments that we used. But some work using the Hubble Space Telescope showed that it was possible to try and distinguish it out. So that's where using a specialized spectrograph called Carmenes came in. Now, what a spectrograph does is it decomposes all of the light coming into it and then breaks it down into its distinct component colors. The resolution of a spectrograph is basically the measure of the different colors that can be seen. That gives a fingerprint, a signature, from which you can determine what chemicals or elements are present in that light. Now, the infrared eye, for example, of Hubble is able to be capable of identifying hundreds of colors there. But that's not really that many when you think about it. The four-meter new instrument called Carmenes is able to identify more than 100,000 colors inside that infrared spectrum, which gives it amazing high-resolution capabilities. 
now turning that now high resolution instrument into the exoplanets that we know about, we can now yield more interesting results. For example, you could make and look at the upper atmosphere of a Neptune-sized exoplanet, which is about four times larger than Earth, located in Cygnus, the Swan constellation. It's about 124 light years away from Earth, and it's called Hat P11b. It's a warm Neptune, which means it's around 550 degrees, and it's about 20 times closer to its host star than Earth is from the Sun, which makes it incredibly close and incredibly hot. But what that means for the atmosphere of this exoplanet is up for debate, and that's what Romain Allard, the PhD student using this data to try and understand, has been trying to dig into. Now, the new infrared spectrograph images are so precise that you can see how the atmosphere of this particular exoplanet gets inflated like a helium balloon, just on a much, much larger scale. Now, what they show is that the exoplanet's atmosphere is getting inflated by all that stellar radiation escaping from its star. And because this exoplanet is so close to its star, it gets bombarded with a huge amount of stellar radiation. That radiation has the effect of inflating and charging up the atmosphere. Which makes sense. You can simulate this, which is what Vincent Burrier, the leader of this study, has shown. That in simulation, you can track all of the helium atoms. They get blown away and they get pushed from one side of the planet to the other. And you get that shape, like you have imagined, of a balloon with the, the flat side facing towards the star and the taper side facing away from the star. So that gives Hat P11b basically the shape of a supercharged helium balloon, which makes sense because it is also helium that's getting charged in the atmosphere and blown away. And that's a fascinating result, but it's only possible thanks to new high-powered telescope technology and some great research out of the University of Geneva. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point found out about the secrets of how some exoplanets have formed, what that means for our understanding of the universe, and how we can find planets using new techniques. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.